The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab episode 593 for Sunday, February 21st, 2016. <laughs> Greetings, folks, and Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We share your questions. We share your tips. We share your cool stuff found. We try to answer your questions, too. Although today we've got several geek challenges to discuss, which should be fun, and some cool stuff found coming up, as well as some what I'll call normal questions, although I'm not sure there's anything normal about uh, you know anything that we talk about here. There's all kinds of fun stuff to do. Sponsors for this episode include Betterment at Betterment.com slash MGG. We'll talk about that shortly. A new sponsor for us this week, ProXPN, offers a free VPN and coupon code GAB50 saves you 50% on their premium services at ProXPN.com slash MacGeekGab. We'll talk more about that shortly. Otherworld Computing at MacSales.com and uh, BB Edit 11.5 from Barebones Software. Something to check out at Barebones.com as well. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. Greetings, John F. Braun. It's good to talk to you today, as always. That's, um, you know, uh, long-time listeners know this, but, uh, but folks new to the show may not know the catalyst for why we're here and or why we do this show. And it largely stemmed, I mean, it was inspired because I wanted to start a podcast, but um, the, the, the format of the show was stemmed from the fact that I wanted to make sure we, you and I kept uh, having an excuse to chat at least once a week. And so for 10 years, we have succeeded, my friend. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So all sorts of exciting things happened this week, Dave. So one has to do with our workflow here. It's, it's a tiny little caveat, but I thought I mentioned it here. So for the users of Piezo, which I used to make on my backup recording, they have decided to abandon the app store for their distribution channel for, which I would say is, Probably a good reason. Uh, the limitations and I guess the sandboxing made it where they wanted to transition away from the App Store. Yeah. So uh, they're offering people a free license. I guess the 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 good news is that you do no longer need to, or they now bundle this optional component that made it so you didn't have to restart the app in order to capture audio. Yeah, instant so on. That's right. Yep. Yeah, yeah it's not the good. first time Rogamiba has has taken something out of the App Store. So it's. Um, I hope that Apple finds a way to, uh, because I think the Mac app store is, is a, is a conceptually great um, way to distribute apps. So I hope they find a way to welcome apps like this back in without limiting their functionality. So it should be interesting. Yeah. But other news this week, John, at least other Mac oh. geek Gab news. Oh. You know, that phone number that we've used for so, so long. Well, mm. the service that we started, you know, it was 10 years ago that we signed up for that phone number. And I'm specifically not saying it because we're going to have to retrain you folks. There's a new phone number. It was a free service that we used. And 10 years ago, you know, there weren't too many <laughs> ways of getting uh, a phone number that, you know, you could have voicemail that, that didn't cost you an arm and a leg. That's obviously changed in the last 10 years. But We've never changed with it because we didn't want to have to change the phone number. But there was one little 
stipulation that came along with this with phone numbers from this service that we used to use called K7.net. And they still exist and you can go get a free phone number or a fax number or anything from them. You have to use it once every 30 days. And I've got like a personal fax number with, uh, with K7 because it's free and whatever, it's easy. And uh, I have it in my calendar that once every two weeks, I send a fax to myself to keep this phone number alive because that's easier than having to go get a new one if somebody needs to send me a fax. I never thought for a second that we would go more than a month it never even crossed my mind that I needed to do this for our Mac keycap number. And yet, uh, at some point in January, somebody made the last call to the old phone number. And then within the next 30 days, you know, and things have changed, right? You folks can send in audio comments with the app. You can send in audio comments uh, just by sending us an email with them. And then, of course, you can email us and all these other mechanisms. So the phone number expired. And there's no way to get it back, at least not without driving ourselves crazy. So we have a new phone number and that John is two, two, four, eight, eight, eight geek. And John geek is, um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't update it in the notes here. It doesn't need to be updated. You've been saying it for 10 years. Is it still four, three, three, five? Of course it is. Geek will always be four, oh, three, good. three, five. All right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. wasn't sure because that can map to many different things. Okay. No, it can only map to four, three, three, five. Um, so yeah, so it's, we did it through Google voice, which requires jumping through some hoops and interesting things. Cause you need to associate another phone number with it in order to get a phone number and send a voice or set a voicemail and all that. But anyway, I, we went through the process two, two, four, eight, eight, eight geek, which is John, uh, four, three, three, five. That's correct. Yeah. So that's the new phone number. Uh, feel free to use it. That one should not go away. Uh, if we can have a 10 year run with that number, Man, I'll be happy. So we had a good 10-year run with the first one, and we've got a 10-year run with this one. That's one of the ways to get in touch with us. While we're up front here, let's just get them out of the way. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is how you can send in an email that uh, will get your stuff to us and perhaps featured on the show as this stuff coming up will be. That's what I like to say. Um, yeah, I think I heard your feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. And if you are interested in, or if you are already a premium subscriber, you can use premium at MacGeekGab.com. Of course, if you're interested in being a premium subscriber, check it, check all that out at MacGeekGab.com. And with that, John, uh, I think it's time to, uh, to, let's do some cool stuff found, shall we? Oh, and then I can tell you my tale of woe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get, we'll get into all kinds of stuff. So, uh, so the first one I'm going to mention is actually a new addition that I saw on Facebook this morning uh, in our Facebook group. And if you're not in our Facebook group, MacGeekCab.com slash Facebook, I happily suggest that you join us. Request. Uh, Rico posted Volume Mixer on Facebook this morning. And Volume Mixer is a really cool thing. Um, it allows you to have application-specific volume controls. You have this in iTunes right now, right? Because it, iTunes itself has a volume slider, but most apps don't. And you might want your, uh, I, you know, I don't know, your, your let's say uh, your Skype calls, you want to have it at one level. But when you're playing video in a web browser, you might want that at a different level. Well, now you don't have to ride your volume control anymore. You can use Volume Mixer to do it. So thanks, Rico. Great. Great suggestion. Great. Fine. Man, good, good stuff. And then now I guess it's time. Uh, James wrote in, we're all fans of text expander here. 
And people on Windows don't have Text Expander. However, there are two, excuse me, two apps that James found. Number one is called Phrase Express, which is a free app. Oh, it's from Phrase Express. Sorry. It's called AutoText at PhraseExpress.com. And uh, it's free for personal use. It will import your text expander snippets, allowing you to have them all there. So there's that. And then uh, he mentioned that and uh, Allison Sheridan over at uh, podfeet.com. And it's, it's worth noting that Allison Sheridan is the person who convinced me we should start a Facebook group in the first place. So thank you for that, Allison. But Allison suggested an app called Brevi from 16 Software. And Brevi is, uh, will allow syncing between text expander snippets so you can actually not it doesn't just import them it's paid but if you want that back and forth kind of thing then uh then brevi is your is your answer so thanks for uh thanks for sharing all of that with us james good good stuff what's next john oh let's go to douglas here douglas Says in episode 590, Joe was looking for a good podcast app for his iPhone. I agree with you that a lot depends on what we individually prefer. I've tried quite a few apps and finally chose iCatcher. It seems to do everything Downcast does. Plus, you're able to sort your podcasts manually in any order you choose. The last time I checked in Downcast, you can only sort your podcasts in alphabetical order or by priority or date order. Uh, I prefer to be able to sort it my way. Awesome. Thanks, uh, thanks Douglas, for, for mentioning that. Good Good stuff. What uh, you don't listen to a whole lot of podcasts, do you, John? I even try to avoid listening to ours, <laughs> but I have to to do the show notes. That's right. No, I'm no, uh, no. I actually no, I I, I don't really listen to uh, uh, many podcasts. I listen to radio, broadcast radio, which I think we'll talk about in a moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's right, Scott. Um, Scott writes, oh, where is it here? Uh, I don't know that I can read his email. Uh, Oh, yeah. He said uh, regarding radio, because we've kind of had this discussion. He says, I've been testing many different. Scott was the one that wrote in. I think it was a few shows ago where we were talking about apps to play iTunes radio stations. Now that iTunes radio is essentially gone. I mean, even though it's still there, it's just not not there on iTunes in the same way. And Scott says, I've been testing many different apps over the past few weeks, and I think I finally found the one. The app is called Simple Radio. As the name suggests, it is very simple, and it works well. You can search for a station and then tap the star to favorite it. I found almost all of the station stations I wanted to listen to from iTunes were, all, were already in the app's directory. But uh, if it isn't, you can email the sta- them the station info, and they will add it. It unfortunately does not support adding stations manually, but their support team said they will consider adding that feature in the future when I asked. What I like most about the app is the UI is very clean and simple, and it supports slide over and split view on the iPad. Feel free to share this as a cool stuff found. We just did. Thank you, Scott. Good stuff. So simple radio. Now I'm going to toss in a couple of things. So, okay. um, so one of the, uh, the wiseacres in the uh, chat room here at macgeekgab.com slash stream um, says, what is this broadcast radio of which John F. Braun speaks? And he's being funny. <clears throat> Though there may be people that don't know what broadcast radio is. Um, but I do want to offer something. Um, that there is a service uh, for you, for those that would like, that don't have a broadcast radio, but would like to stream broadcast radio. There is a service that I thought I'd mention. So one, Dave, is that it's actually part of the uh, 
Heos speaker system software uh, on iOS, and it's called TuneIn. Yeah. We mentioned that a couple of weeks ago when we had this discussion ah, right. the last time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, tune in. Okay, great. I wasn't sure if we had mentioned it. So, uh, yeah. so they're baked into the uh, Heos app. Uh, it appears that they have a standalone app, but it looks like you may have to throw them a few bucks for that. Or if you go to the website, and actually it's pretty clever. So I went to tunein.com and clicked on local radio, and I, I can only guess based on my IP address, it lists all the local radio stations yep. in my area. So um, You can get Mac Geek Gab on TuneIn, folks. It's uh, it's not just for terrestrial radio. So sweet. Yeah. And then in that in in a similar vein, Dave. So we were talking about how to clean up iTunes. So I, I can say that this is somewhat related. But here's the utility that I thought I'd mention, and this has been around for quite a while here. I don't have an up to date. I'll have to see if I can beat a, a, a code uh, out from these guys. But the software is called Tidy Up. And among the many things that it will do is it will uncombobulate or <laughs> it can clean up not only your photos, your aperture and your iPhoto, um, but also your music or your iTunes music. Um, it will tidy it up. So you may want to check those guys out if you have an iTunes or other library that's a mess. Uh, I've used it in the past. It's a, it's a pretty slick and it looks like you can... Uh, you can do a trial. Uh, who's uh, tidy up from hyperboliksoftware.com. Yeah. So that was the thing I was thinking of, but couldn't recall the name. Ah, okay. Yeah. I think, and I think we've mentioned tidy up uh, a few times before on the show. Yeah. That's good. Um, it's good stuff. It's yeah. All right. Where are we here? I'm trying to catch up with everything, John, you've been mentioning all kinds of things and I try to keep the show notes up to date. So, uh, and keep everybody up to date in the chat room too at macgeekup.com slash stream. All right. Jay has one final cool stuff found for us today. He says, uh, there are a few things I never travel without. Get your pencils ready, folks. Uh, for starters, I use TripIt to organize all of my plans. Yes, same. Couldn't live without TripIt. Plane tickets, events, dinner reservations, etc. They all go in to TripIt. TripAdvisor is invaluable for finding a good place to eat in a faraway city. More recently, I've also found another app called City Mapper, which is great for transit directions, and an app called Rome to Rio. That's Rome, the number two, Rio, which is great for any point-to-point -point directions, anything from across town to across an ocean. To stay connected, I purchase a data-only SIM card for my Verizon iPhone before I leave from a company named HolidayPhone.com. Their sister site, PrepaidSimCard.org offers a few more options like the handy multi-country Europe card. Uh, I have friends that wait until they land in Europe to buy a SIM from a local carrier like Vodafone, O2, or Orange. Three is also a big one there uh, that uh, many of you have recommended and I believe will be using for our Europe trip. Uh, thank you, Mike, especially. Uh, they save a few bucks, but I prefer to have everything ready to go as soon as I hit the ground. That I can totally appreciate. And I'll send another shout out. Thank you to Mike. You know why. So uh, hey, uh, there, there's all your travel tips. Thank you, Jay. This is uh, great stuff. And like I said, there was a lot packed in there, but uh, all very, very good. I like it, John. How about you? Do you like it? You want me to tell you something I don't like? Sure. Want me to get on my rant here? I want you to wait on your rant. I want you, I want to give you right. a few minutes to prepare your rant, John. And Oh, I'm prepared. I'm, I'm raring to go. Oh, well, I, I want you to get, get water, 
And I want you to, to really get going. So what I want to do first <laughs> is talk about our first two sponsors. How's that sound? Excellent. All right. Investing can be scary. It can be intimidating, especially as you're just getting started. And we've all got to get started. And that's where our first sponsor, Betterment, really comes in to help. Betterment is an automated investing service that you interact with online. In fact, they've been doing this five years they're the largest automated investing service. They were the first automated investing service and they were the first automated investing service to provide advice. They'll advise you on your goals and then help you work towards them. There's no hard sell tactics, but there are people there seven days a week. If you want to talk to them, that's your choice. You can just interact online if you want, though. You'd go to betterment.com MGG and that's where you get started. You just answer a couple of questions and you get rolling. And depending on how much you invest, you can get up to six months free, no fees because of the betterment.com slash MGG link. You got to check this out. Uh, you know, it, it's never too late to get started and they're not there to make you feel bad about what you're doing or what you're not doing. They're just there to help you and they will advise you and then help you do it. So you got to check this out. Betterment.com slash M-G-G. It's something we all need to be doing. And you can start right now. Our thanks to Betterment for sponsoring this episode. Hey, folks, how's your memory? I don't mean how's your memory, your memory. I mean, how's your RAM? How you doing on RAM? Otherworld Computing, our second sponsor here, is a great place to go to check out prices and options and deals on RAM. MaxSales.com, that's where you go. These folks, they know what they're doing. They care about the products and they're geeks. I mean, the, the company was started by Larry O'Connor. He's a geek. He's a really smart businessman. Don't get me wrong, but he's a geek. He cares about the tech and that attitude that is totally infused in every aspect of the company. For example, if, a customer has a problem with something and they decide to return it, right? They look at it in their own lab. They have their own lab. They dig all this stuff apart and they don't just sell RAM. They're selling like hard drives and RAID enclosures. And, you know, they've got a great Thunderbolt dock and a USB-C uh, hub. I mean, they've got all this great stuff, right? But they dig into it in their own lab to learn about what it is that the customer didn't like, if it was something went wrong or whatever it is. So not only does that show they care about the customer, but it shows they care about the technology. They want to make sure that they sell you things that are going to work for you. And so they need to know about how well they work first. You got to check it out. MaxSales.com are thanks to Otherworld Computing for sponsoring this episode. John. So. My, uh, the machine that I'm on right now, which is a Mac mini. 2010, um, which up until recently had an SSD in it uh, from OZC, I yeah. believe is the. Uh... So I was upstairs uh, a day ago, which is you know where where my setup is here, and um, I was using the machine, and things were not. Things were very sluggish. I was getting you know the spinning cursor of death and. Uh, the system was just very unresponsive, and I'm like, you know, something's not right here. You know, sometimes when your system is unresponsive, uh, it could be the OS. Who knows? So I'm like, you know what? Let me reboot. 
smart. I rebooted. Yeah. Um, you know, restarted and I restarted and it, it seemed to restart in the amount of time that was usual. But then I noticed that several of the icons in my dock had a question mark next to them. And I'm like, well, that's new because that shouldn't happen. So then I'm like, you know what? There may be something wrong with my SSD. You know, let me do another restart and use the startup manager. And if you don't know about the startup manager, if you reboot your Mac and you hold down the alt or the option key, you will get a list of drives that um, you can boot from that are eligible for booting from. So I did that. And so hang on, I have, I have a question for you. When you booted yes. up and you were getting the question marks in the dock, were you, are you certain, do you know for a fact that you had booted from your SSD or? Yes. Okay. I, I was wondering if perhaps at that point, the machine had already booted from the clone because it couldn't find the SSD. No. So, uh, but, okay. But I do have uh, a drive attached. Uh, it's a, uh, via USB, yep. um, a two and a half inch drive, and I do a, run a CCC backup to it every morning at two a.m. Yep. And so I'm like, you know what? Let me uh, let me reboot. Let me go into the boot manager, and I held down Alt, and uh, I selected that drive. You know, it's fairly obvious that it's the external drive because the icon will typically you know show USB versus being just a drive. And I'm like, okay, let me make sure that my you know that the machine's not failing, and let me boot into my backup, which is fairly fresh. And although it took a much longer time than the SSD because it's over USB and also the drive in here is is probably the slowest drive that you could ever get. <laughs> sure. Yeah, right. It's right. the one the machine came with. It's a Toshiba. It's actually crippled to 1.5 gigabits per second, even though this machine is a 3 gigabit per second SATA 2 machine. This drive, and it's also 5400 RPM. So it booted eventually, and I'm like, okay. That's pretty good. Well, now let me go into a... Because it also needs to... I mean, it's going to boot much slower, but it also needs to rebuild all the boot caches and everything because your clone does not include those. So it it makes sense that it it would take longer, especially on first boot, but even on subsequent boots. Yeah. Okay. So I rebooted and I'm like, you know what? Let me... uh well, let me see the state of things here. Let me uh, let me see what's happening with that other drive. So I went into system information, which you can get to if you uh, do about this Mac and you say system report, you get system information that gives you detailed information about what's happening to the machine. And so I clicked on SATA slash SATA Express. And what you'll see is the various uh, SATA buses and the devices connected to them. Well, here's the bad news. The uh, uh, SSD wasn't there. Yeah. All and I'm like I I think I just witnessed a death <laughs> of the drive. Yeah, it sounds and like I it. Did. Yeah. Cuz I'm like it and I'm like okay, I I I trust that my backup is is in good shape. You know, I can boot from it and everything. So um you know, I think I'm going to have to do a transplant, but just for kicks I tried to reboot and do the boot manager again and I got nothing at all. No choices whatsoever. Mm. The machine was totally wedged and the thing is i've seen this type of failure with this type of drive yep once in the past exact same thing is it gets into a state where it not only doesn't appear but it prevents the machine from doing anything yeah and that's so. how ssds die because i've, I've been in the same boat and it just like when they die you you saw what i what i would consider the slowest death that we've seen reported on an SSD because you actually got to use it as it was going South. Most of the time you don't, right? It just, you know, by the way, we're done. That's it. 
Yeah, and the thing is, it wasn't even uh, someone in the in our room here suggested uh, it was damage. Uh, yeah, it may have been at the point of damage, but right now it doesn't even appear on the bus. Right. It, it's not even recognized as a SATA device, not even put it in an external enclosure. So this drive is dead. Um, and it does what the other one did when it failed, is that if I put it in an external enclosure and plug it into a machine, it'll say, hey, can I have your file vault password? It's like, sure. Oh, no, that's, that's interesting. And so that's it, the last, but it never gets beyond that point. It's like, you know, it, it, it's gasping. So wait a minute. So if you put this drive in an external enclosure or inside the machine and you go to system profile, and of course you need to boot up from another disc, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you go to system profiler and look under the, um, oh, what's it called? The, the, the ATA section, right? Or the, sorry, the SATA section. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, does it, it show up as like it's sometimes it'll show some partitions, but it never. Wow. And the other one did this too. Okay. Is, is sometimes it would show partitions, but it would never get to the point where it would mount. Right. It, yeah. It well, yeah. See, right. Right. It would like see the raw partitions, but it would never get to the point where it could actually mount the drive. Huh. In, in okay. So that's fashion. different from what I've seen when SSDs have, have died for me. And I haven't, I've only seen it really only seen it once, but yeah. it was like, like zilch it would not it it was as though there was nothing connected to the the you know the the cable inside this connector i mean it just zero huh this is a strange failure but it's the way the last ssd i had from these guys failed okay the same sort of thing probably the controller on it is is yeah consistent so that makes sense so the only other thing i did past that so i first put this original you know, as I said, slow drive in my Mac mini, but because this drive is just, you know, again, 1.5 gigabits, sure. uh, 5,400 RPM. I'm like, you know what? This is just too slow and it's sure. a tiny drive. So I actually cloned that drive to, I, I still have the, uh, Seagate momentous XT. Okay. Drive, which is one of those hybrid, you know, kind of SSD like drives. Uh, and it's SATA too. So, um, so that's what's living in my Mac mini right now. And I have to consider my options here. I got to say personally, I don't think I'd like another OZC drive. <laughs> so that, that's, I mean, I knew about that this was happening because you'd been posting about it and you'd been telling, you know, we'd been talking about it and kind of, you know, I say offline, but that's not true. We'd been talking about it online, just not in the show because there was no show in the middle of the week. That's not how we do it. And then a completely different thing. Um, my daughter came to me. She's 16, you know, and she's in the school play this year. This is relevant. Uh, and she, um, it, it's footloose, right? And so she came to me the other afternoon, just Friday afternoon, in fact. And she said, uh, dude, I think I have a virus on my computer. I'm like, oh, okay. And uh, I'm like, well, yeah, that would be tough, but okay. What, what did you do? You know, she said, well, you know, it's been a couple of days and I've been trying to fix it on my own, which I was like, oh, it's sweet. And uh, she said, you know, I wanted to download and watch the new Footloose because, um, you know, I couldn't. So she's like, so I started searching around to see if there was any, you know, essentially illegal places where you could do that. Right. And and so she said, I wound up installing this app called like, I think it was Media Downloader. In fact, that I'm, I'm certain that's what it was. Right. Uh and, and of course this installs all kinds of other things. Media downloader is not, it's malware, essentially it's not a virus because it doesn't spread on its own. You've got to manually install it. 
but um but it's definitely malware and it had you know she's like and now every time i open up my browser it goes to this you know it made yahoo my search and you know it had all those kind of telltale symptoms right i don't blame her because when i was looking for it was actually an episode of a show that i had missed and i Mm -hmm. felt that i had the right to download it there are all these sites that try to bamboozle you saying, oh, Java needs to be updated. You want to install this or you need this special media player. So I, I wouldn't entirely. No, I, I get it. I, it. Listen, I don't blame her at all. I, I'm not upset with her. She was trying to, you know, push the envelope and do something with her computer. I mean, that's listen, that, that's how we got here. Right. So it's to- I was totally fine. And I was also proud of her. Because as I'm going on her computer, it was still functional and we could use the machine. So I was using the computer to search on, on Google just to make sure I understood, okay, where's this thing put everything? And, and then we would solve it. I, you know, it, it, uh, of course, you know, search has autocomplete. So it'll fill in the previous searches you've done, but this was her computer. So it was filling in her previous searches. And a lot of them were the same things I was looking for. It was like, Hey, kiddo. All right. You know, she's, she, she's like, yeah. And I opened up activity monitor. She's like, yep, I was here. She, what she didn't understand. And so here's an important thing. And I'll, I will circle back to your SSD story. There, there, there is a, there is a tie in, believe it or not. Um, she was trying to use the delete key in activity monitor to remove stuff. Cause she knew you have to shut down these processes and then you can delete the stuff from the drive, but otherwise it, it won't delete. So she was hitting the delete key in Activity Monitor. Many of you listening will know that that's not the way you do it. But just in case you don't, you have to hit the little X or, or use the, the force quit. But the X is in the upper left-hand corner when you find a process there. Uh, you know, obviously that's, or maybe not obviously, certainly not to her, that it's not removing it from the disk at that point. It's just removing it and, and stopping it from being an active process, stopping it from running. So once we did that, she's like, oh, okay, I know what to do. We've got to go into uh, launch agents and launch demons now and remove all this stuff that's there that's making it run. I'm like, yeah, that's right. So, so we did. So we removed all that stuff from her computer. In, and then we had to reset her Google Chrome. She, she likes to use Chrome. So we had to reset her Chrome preferences to not launch, you know, this weird Yahoo page that, and all that stuff. So we got the stuff off her computer, but I was, I was really proud of her, both for getting it on there and, and kind of knowing at least more than half the path to get it off. However, I happened to look in System Profiler during this process, John, because we put an SSD in that machine uh, quite a while back when we were going through kind of the same thing. This, you know, when, when this, what you deemed a couple of years ago, the golden age of SSD, when the prices finally kind of dropped below that point where you could say, hey, this really makes sense. And she's got an old, it's a 2.4 gigahertz Core 2 Duo machine, which I think is what you've got in your Mac Mini there, mm-hmm. John. And with an SSD, it runs great. It really does. Other than when, you know, you've got this uh, media downloader on there. And I looked and she has an OCZ SSD in there that's been running fine for two plus years. So I'm like, oh, we got to make sure you stay backed up just in case you have the same problems that Mr. Braun is having. But uh, but yeah, it's interesting that you've been through two of these drives. Now, is it a because the first one I had, I think, was a Vector 150 and then they replaced it with a Vector 180. So that's the series, I think, to be wary of. OK, since I've seen two failures. OK, yeah. Almost identical. I'm um, not sure what her uh, model number is. And I apologize for for not knowing that while we're recording here and her computer's not on. So I can't check it now. And she's out of the house. So, um so, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll report back next week as to which model drive this is. I have a feeling this is from the Vector 200 series, uh-huh. not the 100 uh-huh. series. Yeah, I think. I 
think. I feel like this one came in late. So I think they had sent us the 150 that that, that you had. And uh, and then, of course, you know, over time, yours died and, and they put you up to the 180. But I then I think they were like, oh, you should also be checking out this. It was like, OK. And it was right at the time. And we had to, you know, put an SSD in her machine. So it was like, OK, we'll we'll try that. And I think it was the 200, but I or, or two something two XX. I don't know what the, the two, but I, I seem to recall that. But I will I will look at it I, and I will report back as to which one we're having luck and- with. You know, researching these guys. Yeah. So um, now they actually, I believe Toshiba acquired them since they're they're founding. But it appears from what I've read online, especially in a Wikipedia article, is that their early technology had unusually high failure rates. And I've been a victim of it twice. So okay. I'm not saying all of their products are sure. junk. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, at least... When I've had my rotational drives fail on me, they typically fail uh, a bit more gracefully than I'm dead. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, this was no warning. I mean, it was, it was the, the only warning I saw again was the, the, you know, there looked to be corruption in place where I would see question marks for my dock icons. And I'm like, that's not normal. Yeah. And just the, the cursor was spinning madly because I think it was just blasting the SATA bus and just confusing everything. Because like I said, the, the machine wouldn't even start with this drive in the, I had to pull the drive out of the machine in order to even be able to start up. So that's my adventure. Now the, the, the cool thing is that the, the process for booting off of the backup has gotten a little better, Dave. So in the past, a few things would complain. So like one thing in the past, there'll be kind of a pain in the neck would be Google drive. It'd be like, well, I don't see the same folder I saw before. So, uh, you got to like recreate it. The stuff this time around, they've made some improvements to Google Drive because it actually said, all right, um, point me to the folder that you use for Google Drive. And it's like, well, you know, this looks familiar, though. There may be a conflict between what's there and what's on the server when I sync up. And, but but it, it's better. Yeah. And I think the only other thing that happened is um, Dropbox said, yeah, can you log in again, please? Because it realizes something has changed. Yep. Um, time Machine uh was it, it did a deep transversal because it also realized okay i'm on a different drive but i'll i'll still back up to your preferred destination but sure. you know, i'm going to have to scan the drive again because things have changed um other than that everything else is working as as it did so that's good thank you well except except backup. one thing right but, but you're right yeah there's there are going to be these little things under the hood when you change even though it's essentially a clone and it is a clone other than caches, it has a different drive identifier when your backup drive, right? I mean, that's, that's how your the, the oh, Mac yeah. deals with all of this the stuff. The UUID or the GUID or what, some I, a unique ID. It's yes, some it, unique it ID, changed. right? And, and there are things that will say, you know what? I'm going to need you to re-authenticate or confirm something because I know something's different. It might be the same to you, and that's totally fine. I'm not going to make this a pain for you, but you do have to re-authenticate. And one of those things, you mentioned two of them, Google Drive and, and Dropbox, which are smart because they're syncing your data. They don't want to start you know, overwriting things because of some assumption. So they want you to be explicit about it, and that's good. I found, and I think you found this too, iCloud logins. And, and I mean that in the very broad sense, FaceTime, oh. iMessage, right? All of this stuff needs you to re-log in because it's treating it like it is it is a different drive. No, and, you're right. That, that happened too. Yeah. Um, yeah, because yeah, you were saying your iMessage. re-authenticate? Yeah. You're right. Well, iMessage, you know, that was different because uh, the, before this, this meltdown, 
I was talking, you know, you, you were messaging me about something or other and I got it on my phone, but I didn't get my computers. And I'm like, well, and again, this was before the SSD meltdown. Oh, ah, okay. Here's what happened with that. I'm like, why isn't iMessage working again? Is it just, is it just an iCloud thing again? No, here was, at least in my case, what happened is, so I went to messages on my Macs. Yep. And I went to, um, so you go to messages, preferences, accounts, and um, it shows an iMessage account, and yeah. it said inactive. For some reason, it logged out or deauthenticated um, my iMessage account. So once I logged back in, it, it, it synced everything else back up so i don't know why it kicked me out of iMessage. i've seen that happen it's yeah it was it was disabled it wasn't gone it still knew about the account it was just like um it's not active um so once i you know said please activate and enter my password so um yeah so that wasn't that that was just random messages or icloud weirdness right not related to my ssd right hey that's Pretty much the end of my SSD tale of woe. So for for the time being, I'm okay with the uh, momentous drive. It's rotational. It's it's slower, but it's uh you know it's keeping up. I'm not hearing any stuttering or you know sitting here twiddling my thumbs. It's, right. Uh, right. It's a good drive, though. You know, an SSD is better. So uh, yeah, I right. have to consider my options. Uh, you know, I'm they're, curious they're, what OCZ says. I, I mean, I obviously you got to contact them and tell them whether you choose to use a if they offer a replacement drive, whether you choose to use it or not. I would say is your choice. But I'm 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 just genuine. We've talked about it here, so now you've got the responsibility. You got to reach out to them and tell them it, this happened again. You know, I'm I'm curious what their what their response is. Oh, so we will follow uh, up. I'll that. reach out. The thing yeah. is, the last one, the, the I never really got any sort of reply as to what the problem was well and if that happens again that's fine i mean but we you know it's our responsibility here we we, we can't leave it half done so and yeah. i think when they gave me the new drive they put it under some sort of you know extended care plan yeah so uh i mean i'll, I'll let us know I'm next just, week I, no. I just don't think i'm gonna I, that <laughs> i get is a primary primary storage anymore i get uh, it at least not this series maybe, maybe they can upgrade me to, but who knows you, you don't there, have all the information yet right i mean it, it, right. there may be a conversation that happens this week so but I, I, we'll, we'll yes. revisit it in the meantime uh mm-hmm. i want to take a, a brief minute and i really do want to keep this part of this brief uh, because there's been so much said about it on most of the other in fact all of the other tmo podcasts this week and you can go back and listen and we posted about it but this thing with the fbi um I think it's important that we take our Mac geek gab angle at, at this and simply explain as best we can what it is that the FBI is asking for, because there's there's political implications. That, and I don't mean just like, you know, presidential candidates. I mean, political glo- geopolitical implications of of the end of this, you know, whatever this final decision becomes. And it's a very interesting thing, and everybody's going to have their own opinions on this, and that's fine. My thought and my intention here is to make sure that you just have enough information to form your own opinions. So, uh, as you probably know, but if you don't, the FBI uh, asked via a magistrate court court in in uh, in California uh, to asked Apple to initially uh, asked Apple just to help them crack this phone. And Apple actually did provide some assistance. And then this week they asked Apple to create, they didn't just ask Apple to help them break into the phone. 
they asked Apple to create a special version of iOS that would allow them to try and hack the passcode of this phone that belonged to one of the terrorists in the San Bernardino shootings without risk of the OS deleting all of the phone's data. Right now, if you've got your phone set uh, the right way, you can tell it, look, if somebody fails the passcode attempt 10 times, wipe out my phone, right? And, uh, and then there's also some other protections in there. As you try more passwords, it slows, it, it adds more and more delay uh, in the, the process. So you can't just try a password every 10, you know, every 10th of a second or something. You've got to go, it, it will it t- intentionally slow you down. It won't take input for longer and longer uh, just to keep people from just trying to hack it, especially with a four digit passcode. It's not, it's fairly trivial to hack a four digit passcode. You know, we, when it's all numbers, we all know, you know, zero, 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 zero through nine, 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 nine. And, you know, one of those is it guaranteed hundred percent. And so that's very trivial. And that's why Apple has these protections built in. The FBI is asking Apple to go out of its way and build a new version of iOS that they promise they'll only put on one phone so that none of those protections are in there. And then the FBI can hack it and get the password. And Apple has said, no, we will not do that. And for to, to, to make it quick, it's, you know, essentially Tim Cook saying that's a really slippery slope and we're not going to, you know, put our toes on it. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's what's going on here. Uh, And, and again, you know, there's been a lot, I've said a lot about it this week on, on our, our, especially on our TMO daily observations podcast. So I, encourage you all to listen to various opinions and reasons for those as you, as you form your, your, your own opinions on this, but it's a very interesting case. So Mm -hmm. just wanted to make sure everybody knew what was, uh, what was going on. Do you have anything to add to that, John? Uh, I made a couple of tweets and, uh, on my personal account. Um, and I think they're both somewhat relevant here. So one was, Hey guys, how about looking for a backup? One thing, my humble opinion here, they're, um, the, the vectors available them, to them to get information, there, there are so many vectors here, and I think they're, they're trying to play chicken with Apple, saying, well, you know, this work phone must have something on it, and that's the other thing. It's right. like, dude, it's a work phone. Do you really think, uh, well, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Do you really think, first off, that there's anything of value on this? I mean, there's so many other pieces of data that you have, I'm sure, you know, phone records from the phone companies and, and you know, backups from the, the computers, if you could find them or stuff in the cloud. So they're playing chicken in my humble opinion. Well, here, they so. are. And that, that's, that's what I'm saying is it's not, and, there's been and so two, much said about that, that I, I kind of want to avoid two, that here. I think I understand the dynamics that you pointed out here. And, and I would agree that giving law enforcement, this tool or this version is, a slippery yeah, slope. Yeah, all right. We, we're going to, yeah. Like, again, no, all, all I'm going to say is my final point is why not just give the phone to Apple and say, Apple, can you hack this phone and give us the data from it? And I think that's entirely technically possible, but it sounds like that's not good enough for right. the feds. That's um, correct. That I think would be an acceptable compromise. Yeah. I, 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 know, I don't disagree I know, with you. I know Apple has the capability to do it given enough time and resources. And that's the other thing is like, you know. All right, John. We were, we were not going to go down this path, but that's okay. Well, no, we're done. Okay, good. All right. No, that, that, that you asked for my input. That's my input. And well, it was more on the technical side. Yeah. I didn't really want our opinions here, but that's okay. I, I just want to keep it clean and tight. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on. 
to James. James writes, I use Clean My Mac 3, and today I received a non-responsive message for three apps. One went away rather quickly, but two others stayed visible for a while. The two apps were Escrow Security Alert and Keychain Circle Notification. Both notifications disappeared while I was trying to find info about these two apps. Do you have any idea about the purpose of these two apps? Okay, so it, it's an it, and and um, it, th- there's there's two pieces of this here. So finding out about apps can be very very tricky uh, because not everything that Apple has behind the scenes running OS ten is well documented. Some of it is, a lot of it is, some of it's not. Um, it, based on some searching, it seems like these apps are used, both used to sync iCloud keychain and possibly other data. And it's worth doing a Google search. When you see an app you don't recognize, it's worth doing a search to find out what, you know, if people are saying, well, this is malware or, you know, something like that. But in this case, it's not. There's enough people, you know, the way, the way I interpret that stuff is I start looking a lot of times these apps will just appear in unrelated forum postings where people are saying I'm having you know some issue here's all the apps that are running and they're just paste in a thing from system profile or something if you see that in enough places you start to get a feel for you know what this is just a normal thing and I'm okay with it and 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 it's a judgment call but but it, you can you know you do you look at five different web pages and you can say, okay, this is just something that's in there. And, and then sometimes people will talk about it like they did in this one post. We'll put a link to it in the, uh, in the notes. But what's really important here is that you have an app and clean. My Mac three is great about this. It will tell you when apps go unresponsive, but unresponsive doesn't mean crashed or dead. And, and that's really what I wanted to get to here. Unresponsive just means that they are not saying anything back to the system at the moment or responding to the system, which of course involves saying something back. So the system's trying to get status from this app. It knows that it's active. It knows that it's using CPU time and this can happen. I mean, an app can be using, you know, a lot of the CPU and be unresponsive. But again, it doesn't mean that the app is crashed. It just means that the app is not responding and as James mentioned, the alerts went away because the apps came responsive. So probably what was happening is it was trying to do some kind of a sync. These apps took longer than the OS expects them to. And it started saying, hey, whoa, you know, you went off on this task a little while ago. I'm not hearing anything back from you. Uh, And it just marks it as that. And then clean my Mac keeps an eye on your process list and reports back to you and says, Hey, Whoa, there's something wrong here. This app is, is unresponsive, but it, it clean my Mac in that regard can be a little bit misleading. It, 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 you just, it's telling you information, but it might not be telling you what you think it's telling you. It's, it's okay that apps go unresponsive um, as long as they come back and that it, you know, and, and that's, that's, uh, that's where I'm at with this, John, anything to add my friend? I'm with you. Yeah, I looked. Um, yeah, I'm not exactly sure what that does. Mm-hmm. I mean, I opened it. I see it in nope. my process list. And yeah, if no I open files is. and ports, yeah. um, well, I mean, escrow implies that it has something to do with security. Key yeah. Escrow and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't find a man page or anything. 
but I'm with you. I, and, and I've seen that, you know, I actually saw this. So when I reran my, um, uh, time machine backup and I had to do this, uh, you know, deep scan and deep transversal at some point in my console, I actually got a message and actually said, Hey, you know what? Backup D is chomping processor, dude. Well, that's because it was doing a lot of work. Yeah. But the OS at a lower level was, was, you know, kind of pointing that out as well. And I think it logged the fact because right. Apple uses that information to identify processes that may be on a runaway train, but in this case they aren't, they're just busy. <laughs> It's interesting stuff. Yep. But yeah, it's okay that a process goes offline. I see it happen sometimes if I'm handbrake converting a movie, you know, sometimes it'll go unresponsive or, you know, and it could be disk activity. It's, you know, it could be that the app is waiting for something else, right? When the app says, go give me this data from across the network or from the disk, the app might just, you know, if, if another task takes longer then the app doesn't know what to do. And so it just sits there and says, I'm just going to hang until, you know, uh, I've got more data for you, but it doesn't even say that it just sits. So, all right. Uh, moving on to Felix, this is an interesting one. He says, I'm experiencing some rather annoying issues on my 2013 Mac pro. Each time I boot up spotlight indexes and it slows everything down hugely whilst doing that. Secondly, and I think this may be related, each time I boot, the system uh, seems to forget my dual monitor setting I had before and reverts to mirroring both displays. Do you have any idea what could be causing this? I've tried repairing the disk when booted from a clone, repaired disk permissions, and have done uh, a reset. I'm not sure which reset, so uh, we may be suggesting something that you've already tried. But here's the thing, you know, independently... I would address the spotlight issue. I would address these two issues separate, you know, in their own ways with the spotlight issue. I would follow the, you know, delete the spotlight index because it might be corrupted path. And we've got, uh, you can do it from the command line or you can use Onyx, but, um, but that's typically when spotlight won't stop its rebuilding or if it keeps restarting its rebuilding, it's because there's a damp, there's a damaged database out there. So, um, you know, that's, just re deleting the spotlight database is usually the solution there. And that might be the, the solution for you too. There's no guarantee that it's not. And then of course, with the dual monitor setting, that's a PRAM and or SMC reset. Uh, that's stored in your non-volatile RAM on the Mac. And, uh, and so it again, sounds like something might be corrupted out there and that's where I would, that's where I would go with that. However, with both of these things happening together, um, I'm concerned about the health of the motherboard battery. If, if this keeps happening, especially, and I would do these other two things, actually. I would, I would rebuild, you know, delete and let it rebuild one more time, the Spotlight database, and then I would reset the PRAM. But if it keeps happening, I would look, and I'm pretty sure that Mac Pro has a has a battery inside it that maintains all its settings, and they should last for you know five to seven years, is maybe even longer. But you know, they're batteries. It's possible that it's dying faster, and and that could be part of the issue here. It would also reset your clock and things like that, but you may not notice that anymore because, of course, our computers set their own time. So if it has access to the internet, the the clock's going to be reset before you would ever see it wrong. So uh, we don't get that symptom like like we used to before uh, before our computers were connected to the the hive mind all the time. Any thoughts on this one, John? 
No, I think I'm pretty much with you on this. I, I actually have had, so another thing that you, you could have happen, and actually I've had this happen with other devices. So I did actually have on my prior MacBook Pro, uh, the battery failed. Well, actually, no, the battery did not fail. What happened is the wires had actually uh, fray or, or actually had cracked. <laughs> they had gotten so old. Um, huh that the battery actually was not making a connection. Once I replaced the battery, I actually noticed this. It wasn't the battery that was dead, but it was the wires going to the battery. Wow. It failed. Was this in, I'm sorry, thing, was this in a laptop? Yeah, it was the 2008 that you have now. Okay. I, I replaced that, uh, 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 we'll call it the CMOS battery. Yeah, um, right, right. That's the, I, thing, I, I, the only reason I asked if it was a laptop is if, I, I was curious if it had been subject to, you know, wild temperature fluctuations, which would be the thing that would start to wear those out more than if a computer was just sitting in a climate controlled environment all the time. No, not really. I think just, you know, wires eventually get old. But the other thing, yeah, uh, in in relation to the battery, because I've had this happen uh, mostly with uh, non-rechargeable batteries, but you may want to check your contacts and make sure the battery's not leaking. I still find leaky batteries uh, out and about the house for my various devices and uh, or just clean those contacts. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's all I have to add on that. Okay. (laughs) Sweet. Um, all right. You know what I want to do is I want to talk about our, uh, second batch of sponsors. If that's okay with you, my friend. Cool. All right. VPNs are something we love to talk about here. And pro XPN VPN fits that mold pretty perfectly. So pro XPN offers a free VPN to everyone. ProXPN.com slash MacGeekGab. You go there, you sign up. They want very little information from you, which is good. And, uh, and then you get a, a free account. Now, free accounts uh, have a limited speed, but, you know, it's enough to check email and kind of do some simple stuff. And the nice part about VPNs, and this is true of all VPNs, is that it's a secure pipe that goes from your device to their servers. So if you're in some public place, like a coffee shop or at a hotel or anything, where somebody else potentially that you don't know, you don't manage the network, so they could be sniffing your traffic? Not anymore. That's what a VPN solves. ProXPN takes care of that for you. So you go sign up for one. There's no harm. It's going to cost you nothing. ProXPN.com slash MacGeekGab. Then, once you've got it, of course, they do offer a premium service. It gives you faster connectivity. They open up uh, PPTP, which makes it a whole lot easier to get set up on your iPhone, although it's totally doable on your iPhone. Otherwise you can connect to lots of different points of presence instead of just one here in the U S coupon code gab 50 G a B five zero will save you up to 50% off their pricing. If you decide to go to the premium service, but really just start with it for free ProXPN.com slash Mac geek Our thanks to pro XPN for sponsoring the show. We're really glad to have them. BB Edit from Barebones Software has been around for a very, very long time, and it just keeps getting better. This is a world-class text editor, and it's open on my Mac all the time. It's open right now. We couldn't do this show without it, and we certainly wouldn't want to. BB Edit just hit version 11.5, and this feels like it could have been called version 12. Uh, It could have been called version 15. Let's be honest about this. They've added some really, really handy stuff. Way too much for me to mention here uh, 
all at all at once. But I, I do want to go through a couple of my favorites. So they've added iCloud Drive support for sharing your application uh, support and setup items so that you can have a consistent experience across your Macs. That's a good thing. And you can have a shared backup folder on iCloud Drive, which is even handier if you're editing the same file in multiple places. One of my favorite new features, probably my absolute favorite, if you do any kind of coding, you love when things are indented. And then you go on the web and you grab some code from somewhere else. Maybe it's not even the web. Maybe it's just another text document. And you paste the stuff in and it's a mess because it doesn't match your indents. Well, now there's a new command in the edit menu called paste and match indentation. It will do its best. (laughs) From what I've seen, it's been doing pretty good at matching your indentation structure. So it's not driving you crazy to have this like snippet of code. That's all out of whack. And you've got to manually go in and like move the stuff around. No, they know what you want. They do it for you. You got to check this out. BB edit at barebones.com. Our thanks to barebones and the team there for sponsoring this episode. I think it's time to talk pictures, John. How do you feel about that? Moving pictures? No, just <laughs> pictures. <laughs> Moving pictures isn't just a Rush album. And we'll get to that. In fact, let's start there. Uh, Larry has a, a great question for us. Larry asks, uh, Hi guys, I have an older computer and I wanted to get all the pictures off of it and move it onto my current MacBook Pro. I did some, it's, a, and it's, oh, sorry, he has an older Windows computer. Uh, he did some Googling and found that he could migrate the photos, just photos he thought, and start, and he st- so he started the process. Windows generated the list of what it had to migrate, and I unchecked everything except photos. Once I started, it said it would take about eight hours for 30 gigs. Granted, I was on Wi-Fi for both machines. They were connected together by an Ethernet cable. Uh, now, here's my question. Unfortunately, the Windows computer did a Windows update when there were two hours left of this migration. I lost the connection at that point. So I went to my MacBook Pro and this whole thing had set up a new user over there, but brought over no photos. Did it hurt anything to have it create a new user? I assume if it's finished that the new user on my Mac would have all the Windows photos that I could just drag to photos or the pictures folder over from my regular user. Just as an FYI, first I tried to set up a USB stick partitioned with OS X Extended Journaled and the other half with Windows. I read somewhere that this would work, but uh, the Windows computer wanted me to reformat the entire USB stick. So that's when I found the migration way of doing it. I was thinking of starting the whole migration thing again, turning off Windows automatic updates, of course, and seeing if it would work. I think that it should. I'm assuming it would set up the new user as it did before. And then I could just drag and drop from that account and then delete that user. Does any of this make any sense? And yeah, I, I, I think it does. The new user shouldn't be an issue. That, that's just part of how Migration Assistant works. It's, it wants to create a new user. It's not going to stuff things into an existing user because it could create all kinds of confusion. You don't know what was migrated versus what was there before. And so it's, it's cleaner to set it up as a new user. Uh, and then, yes, once all the once the migration's finished, you can take all the, the photos from that one user and copy them to the other. Uh, that may result in some permissioning issues, uh, but that can be solved fairly easy, easily with a, um, you know, repair user folder permissions. It's, it's not a system wide permissions thing, so you can still do user folder permissions. Uh, so, yeah, that 
that should work. I, I, I don't, I don't see any issues with that. What, what are your thoughts here, John? Honestly, for a Windows machine, I would say, yeah, using the Apple tool would be the best choice. And yes, it's unfortunate that that process got interrupted. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, not good. Um, yeah, I'm unfortunately not very hip to, you know, what what's on the uh, the Windows side. <clears throat> yeah, at least. Well, no, I'll take that back. I mean, if you're using uh, a cross platform, depending on what was being used to manage the photos on the other end. I mean, it could be, you know, um, if you were using a, you know, an Adobe product or something like that, then maybe the migration wouldn't be complex at all. Assuming you can get the app on the Mac as well. I, I guess I don't have enough detail. That's true. Yeah. You don't have enough detail about, I mean, if you, if you were just storing them, you know, the photos in the photos or pictures folder, which is, you know, similar across platforms than um, using Apple's tool, I would say the best. Otherwise, again, if if you're using a, a piece of software that's available on both, then uh, I'm, I'm sure they offer a tool that'll let you bring all that stuff over without losing any any data. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I hadn't even thought of that when I read this, and all of a yeah. sudden I'm like, you know, because he's just using the generic term photos, so. Right, right, yeah, it, it depends. I mean, if you want to bring album data and all of that over uh, yeah, then it then it starts to yeah. But we don't know what was you being used to manage it before. But that's right. Yeah. So if you, um, I mean, th- this could get interesting. So depending on what was being used before, uh, you opened up a whole can of worms here, John. I'm glad you did. Uh, in fact, but if, if you open, let's see. If if there was like albums and metadata and all of that stuff in Windows and migration assistant was able to grab that stuff and bring it over then you'd have an interesting scenario because you'd have and and you'll have this either way i think you're, you're going to have a photos library in windows in on your mac if it can see those things as photos so that's step one this is this is a way bigger answer than than i thought um so i'm sort of formulating as we go here if it sees it windows photos it's going to create a photos library on your mac you're then going to need to merge that new user's photos library with your existing one, if you want to, or you could just copy it to your user account and using the option key. We've talked about this recently, uh, launch photos, hold down the option key, and you can pick which photos library you want to open. Note though, that there's a difference um, that your Mac. And we talked about this last week, your Mac picks or you pick one of your photos libraries to be the system wide photos library. Um, and we'll talk about that in a minute because, it, well, it, because it's important, right? It, it, it's always going to have that one open, even when photos is closed, but you can, you can open different photos libraries. If you want to merge the contents, contents of the two, that's when you need power photos from, uh, from fat cat software. Um, it's becoming my new favorite thing to mention and not just because, uh, they've come on board as a as a sponsor upcoming. Um, it's, it's always been our favorite thing to mention because it's the only tool that does the job and it does it well. So you would need that if you want to merge those two together. One thing, though, you said it was migrating data. Uh, I'm presuming it was if it was taking eight hours. I'm presuming it was doing something. But it's possible, to, again, depending on how you have your photos stored, that they won't be seen as photos. It might like the migration assistant thing might just see it as documents again, depending on how it's stored and how intelligent migration assistant 
from Windows as being when it does this stuff. I, I like you, John. I haven't done a whole lot of this, so I, I don't have enough experience to say with these circumstances. Here's what it becomes with these. Here's what it becomes. So you might also have to tell it to migrate all your documents, which would just kind of be a catch-all. And then you'll, in this new user, wind up with a folder of your documents. And in there might just be a folder of pictures. Yeah. Huh. Well, this got interesting, huh, John? Yeah. And uh, interestingly enough, I, I just fired up uh, Parallels on <sighs> Windows 10 on yeah. my laptop. Yeah. And it appears that the default application within Windows 10 to handle your photos is called, I'll let you guess, Photos? Yes. Awesome. Yeah. And it's actually listing right now uh, some of the common terminology. So I see in the in the sidebar they have collection, albums, folders. Uh, it looks like, well, not that Apple is unique in this, but the, the way they group things. Um, so if you're using what's built into Windows, then, uh, you know, again, it, it may just come over uh, with little to no uh, difference to you. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. 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 Um, yeah. And it, and it's important, you know, we, we, um, with, with photos, there is this photo library that that's deemed the system photo library and you, you control this in the photos, uh, preferences advanced. Right. Uh, and there's a button that you can push if it's not selected for the current library that says set this as the system photo library photos library. And that's where, Everything else on the system will dump things. If you've got uh, iCloud set up or any of that, it's going to, you know, it's going to dump in there. It's going it, to, it will access that full time, which is why it's really hard to like share a single library file or anything like that. It, it's, there are some very nuanced differences b- between iPhoto and photos in terms of how they handle that kind of stuff. It's why you can't like you, can, it used to be that you could have one photos library that two users could open, um, you know, from across the network, as long as one didn't open, as long as one quit photos or iPhoto, sorry, you could, you know, have iPhoto and you quit iPhoto on one computer and you could open the same library on the other. And people were doing that and understood the risks. Well, now you can only do that if that shared library is not a, um, is not a default or the system photo library, photos library on either computer. It gets a little crazy in, in Apple's effort to make things easier. Uh, let's move on to Mike, shall we, John? Because Mike has a what now will be, I think, a quick question. He says, my wife and I are trying to share our photos library. I would like to keep things in folders to make organizing easier. We have a family share with, our app, with my Apple ID as the organizer. Is there any way that you know of to share a parent folder and have the contents share as well or do i just have to share each album individually john you want to take this one i will take this one so um the thing is you got to look at the uh, you got to look at the terminology that's being used here and and like i just mentioned it's pretty common across platforms here but i think i see the question that he's asking so within photos um and also some of the apple programs but specifically photos there's a hierarchy of elements or the way you can represent them. So the first, of course, is your photos. Sure. You, you can see the individual photos. You know, you run photos, you go on the left and you say, <clears throat> photos, and it'll show you all your photos. 
Then there's two other entities, and I think this is the question that's being asked. So one is something that you can define, which is called an album. And an album is a collection of photos. Right. Okay, makes sense. Sure. And that's a nice way to organize your stuff. And then above that, Dave, is another entity called a folder. And a folder, best I can tell, or at least in the testing that I've done, a folder is something that contains a group of albums. Right. And I think what he's asking, and at least the question from within photos, is the answer as to whether you can do this is yes, or at least the path that I found. So within photos, if you go to shared, you get, it's going to come up and say iCloud photo sharing. Share photos and videos with just the people you choose and let them add photos, videos, and comments. So if you haven't so done wait, this wait, before. Where is, where is this? If you go right, to shared, so, where, how do you get there? All right, you run photos. Yeah. Okay, in the sidebar on the left. Yeah. You'll see, well, you should, maybe you won't unless you have it turned on. You should see a shared category. Yes. And below that, activity. Okay. And if you click on that. Got it. The pane on the right, you should see iCloud photo sharing. Assuming you have that enabled. Actually, you may not see that if you don't have it enabled, which I guess you'd have to enable in iCloud. No, you enable that in photos, preferences, iCloud, iCloud photo sharing. Actually, you might be able to enable it from system preferences too, but that's, that's um, how you would do it here. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's two paths right. to do that because I know I've seen it in there. Right. If that's enabled, I would say the answer to this question or one path you could take is to do this. So if you say start sharing, it's going to ask you, well, define a shared album. Because I think that's the goal here. It's well, no, his share. goal, he can share. Yeah, no, his goal is to share a folder of albums. Okay, and, and you can do that with this. So, so what I did is I went to start sharing. Yeah. I created a shared album, and I called it my first shared album. Sure. And then I tried a couple of different things. So then what you can do is you can take either an album or a folder that's in your albums list. So when you create a folder, it's actually in the list of albums. And right. then underneath that folder is a list of albums. The answer to the question, I think, is that I was able to take a folder, drag it into the, the shared album that I had defined, and it shared not only the folder, but the albums that were within it. Oh. And I think that's the question. Yeah, no, that's the question. the question was, yeah. can I share a folder? And the answer is, Yes, but you can't. Okay, so here's here because I tried this and I thought the answer was no because I was doing it by right clicking on the folder and choosing share this because you can do that with an album, right? You can take an album, you right click and you say share this album and then it shares it and then you pick who you want to share it with. Um, but when you right click on a folder, you don't have the share option. So I stopped there. But if you drag it, so you're dragging the folder to shared activity oh you're dragging the folder to a an album your that is album. already shared and which could be your family album right because when you have a when you're on a family plan or not a family plan but you know when you're doing the family sharing thing you will get an album here in all of your uh photos libraries that's called family so in theory you could drag it to that huh okay and honestly i had really not done a lot of I think I did this once on my, that you, you can get a similar function in, uh, in iOS. I think there's also a shared category. Oh, of course. It uses yeah. the same mechanism. So honestly, I really haven't 
used it as of late. I typically, uh, yeah, I typically share my photos either Instagram or, or I throw them up on Flickr. I, yeah. I really, really honestly don't use iCloud, but I would say the answer to this question is. All right. I'm going to try this because we're going to Florida this week. So I'm going to, I'm going to create an, an album and, and see if I can share it oh, with cool. the family or a, a folder the, of albums. The only weird back. thing that yeah. I noticed is that at first I didn't think it was working. It, it, you don't get immediate feedback because it's doing a lot of work behind the scenes, I think, to make right. this happen. Right. And actually, the album, it looks like, yeah, it, um, it actually offers a number of features. Uh, let them add photos, videos, comments, uh, kind of reminiscent of, uh, of the old iWeb. <laughs> yeah, right. It is. Yeah, it kind of is. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. But, um, but you won't get immediate feedback because at first I thought it, it wasn't working because I dragged a folder over to the new shared album that I created and nothing happened or it appeared nothing happened. I think you'll see a little progress dialogue yep. telling you that something's happening and just, just settle down Beavis. You know, yep. <laughs> yeah. And eventually I saw, saw the, it, it populate the, uh, my screen with the, with the, uh, albums oh, or the folder cool. of albums. Yeah. It makes sense. makes sense. Cool. All right. Um, thank I'm you not for that. Sure, That's good. I'm not sure. If you're going to need to uh, pony up some dough to get extra space, if you start sharing a lot. Well, right? my experience is I don't think I, I, I don't think that's related. Um, it, it's this is not iCloud photo sharing or iCloud photo library. This is iCloud photo sharing. So the photos are actually stored on your individual in your libraries, not in the cloud. Yeah, but it's iCloud photo sharing, so... No. Well, yes, it's iCloud photo sharing, but it's not iCloud photo library. Yeah, you might... I don't know. That's a good question. Is Does it impact your storage? I didn't get to the point where I exceeded my... Um, yeah, I'll look into that, too. Yeah, we'll revisit this next week. That's good. That's oh, good. because you're on vacation. Yeah, because we're, yeah, we're heading down yeah. to, to Florida for a little while, for, the, for a couple of days this week. Yeah. All right. Nice. Um, recently, we talked about QoS, quality of service. In your, it's a, which is a feature in uh, some routers, not Apple's, at least not in a way that you can control and, and any of that. Um, and what that does for as a brief recap is it allows you to choose which traffic you prioritize so that, say, uploading all your photos from the previous step doesn't slow you down when you're trying to, say, have a Skype conversation here. Uh, and we've seen it actually, this show has been negatively impacted by not having QoS enabled, uh, in the past. You know, I would, I remember early on, I'd have to like, you know, text Lisa, like, are you uploading a bunch of photos to Dropbox? John and I are having Skype problems. We're trying to record the show. She's like, oh yeah, sorry. I forgot. You know, like, oh, that's no problem. You know, and she would stop. Well, with QoS, that problem goes away because your router now prioritizes the traffic and says, no, no, this one, you've told me to, to treat Skype more important then uh, photo uploads and those are bulk. So we'll slow those down just a little bit to let Skype traffic through. One of the things though, in order to do that is you need to tell your router how fast your connection is in each direction. And as we discussed, you have to do that and you have to set it to about 95% of what the maximum speed is, because the idea is you want your router to make sure you never hit the speed caps that you're provider has has put on you in your in, inside your cable modem or whatever you know way it is that you connect and that way you always have uh you, you know you're not hitting the wall of the of the 
connection and everything can operate happily. With that in mind, Jeff writes, he says, I have QoS enabled so that Backblaze doesn't slow down my entire network. While listening to you talking about QoS on the latest show, I had a realization. Comcast recently told me that they increased my speed from 25 megabits per second to 75 megabits per second on my downstream. But after testing, that didn't seem to be the case. I was procrastinating calling them because I didn't want to deal with them. But while Dave was talking about how how to set QoS to 95% of your bandwidth, it hit me. That's why I wasn't seeing the higher speeds. I disabled QoS on my router and reran the tests. Night and day difference. The upload increased by about three times. So a word of, uh, I don't know if it's a word of warning, but a note to anyone running QoS. It would be good to disable it every once in a while and see if your speed has increased without you knowing. And this is a great, great point. And it's one of the things I really like about Netgear's firmware is they have the speed test built into the firmware. So you can tell it, go run a speed test now, and it will not only do the test, but it will then readjust your QoS settings based on what it what results it gets uh, from the test. Yeah, right. That was my thought. Is there a mechanism where I could me- make the QoS a relative to the maximum size of it, the pipe? And the answer is yes. Yes, cool. sort of, but it's manual. It's not happening automatically. It's not like it's right. running a, Q- a speed test every day. But you can go in and, and say, and it, it knows because it's the router, it knows to run that test kind of out of band of the QoS. So it's just, you know, let it pour. And now I can reset our numbers here. So if you don't, most routers do not do that yet. Uh, and then they, they all should. It, you know, it's kind of an obvious, especially with Jeff comment here. It's kind of an obvious thing that, whoa, this is important. And maybe they should even, even Netgear should have it test it once a month. And, uh, you know, re-optimize or something like that. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, great point, Jeff. Uh, it's because once you put that wall up, you know, by definition, it's not going to go any faster than that or your devices aren't going to go any faster. So great tip. Great tip. I like it. And uh, with that, we have a tip from, uh, from Booker as well. Hi, guys. This is uh, Booker from Montreal. Um, I'm listening to your show about uh, the QoS, and I think that it's a mistake to have. You said that you you put YouTube and uh, uh, SIP, uh, Voice over IP, and uh, everything that you want um, at that you want most at uh, level five or priority five. I think it's a, it's a mistake because. You don't want to uh, have the packets uh, of the VoIP wait for the YouTube uh, packet, uh, which should be, you know, uh, more. Uh, there should be more packets from YouTube than from the VoIP because uh, it's a low bandwidth. So myself, I do. Everything that is low bandwidth, like uh, DNS, like via voice over IP and, and such, I put um, at you know highest priority, and then a priority below or two, I put you know YouTube, Netflix, and everything that I you know want to be able to um, um, stream easily, and then I put the rest like uh, web page and uh, you know downloads and everything else uh, below that so that you don't mix uh, you don't give the same priority to high bandwidth um, um, 
streams are the same as the uh, low bandwidth uh, uh, packets or totally right. Uh, and, and you're absolutely right, Booker. And I, I probably misspoke when, when we did that. I have all of my, like our Skype connection here, John, and the, the stuff that's important, the low bandwidth, but high priority stuff is the highest priority. And then uh, YouTube and Netflix and, you know, all of that stuff is, is one notch down from that because it's important. You know, we want it to happen in real time, but not to take over from a, a Skype call or like an Xbox game, again, low, pro, low bandwidth, but you, you know, you want quick latency and then things like FTP and Dropbox and iCloud photo sharing. I put all the way down at like zero or one or whatever it is. Bulk priority, depending again, depending on your router, you may not even have to worry about this. Um, again, I go back to Netgear cause I think they're really, they're, they're leading the charge on this from what I've seen thus far. Uh, where they just have a profile that you download. So you do the automatic speed test and you tell it, yep, keep my, keep this profile up to date. And then they down, you know, Netgear has sort of made these obvious choices and just sends a profile to your router and, and takes care of it for you. You can do it manually if you want, if you know, which is, which is great, you know, us geeks. And you can do the speeds manually with Netgear too, but they kind of have a couple of easy buttons, which, which is smart. It's the right way to do this. So it's good stuff. Are you using QoS yet, John? Have you uh, have you jumped on the mm. the ninety five percent bandwagon? Because that's the problem, right? Is you've got to accept that you're going to lose a little bit of your no need speed. At this point, no need. I haven't had any service that I've seen suffer enough for me to. Yeah. Okay. Do QoS. Yeah. Fair enough. I. You know, it's one of those things. Where I don't, the- don't want to try to. <laughs> Now, I don't want to try to fix something that isn't broken. Well, I know that's instinctual for, for yes, like us. Fix it till it's broke. Yeah, that's right. I'll, I'll fix it until, if it doesn't need fixing, I'm going to fix it anyways. Yeah, right. So well, until I get to a situation where I have some... That makes sense. A network yeah. service uh, not performing as well as I think it should, then then I'll, I'll examine it. Yeah. But I haven't gotten to that point yet. Yeah, yeah. You got to do that ping test that we talked about in the, in the last episode, mm-hmm. though. That's the, that's the real trick. I mean, right. the only thing I've done is I recently ran, um, you know, a DNS profiler and I actually switched from my ISP's DNS to, I believe I selected OpenDNS yeah, because yeah. they showed that it offered the best uh, uh, turnaround time. You need to be careful. I use OpenDNS too, so I, I, I uh, but you need to do it eyes wide open a lot of providers, Comcast is one of them, uh, have been working with some of the major video providers like YouTube to make sure their customers, the Comcast customers, get this data, you know, without any issues. Oh, I and, thought they were doing the opposite. <laughs> uh, well, they were. For, yeah, they, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what they do is Comcast maintains a cache of frequently watched YouTube videos so that when you go to watch this video it, and it makes sure it doesn't change. I mean, this is all okay. Don't, you know, we don't need to get wavy armed about it. Uh, they, um, they'll play the video from the Comcast cache so that you, they're not, you know, you don't have to actually go all the way to YouTube to get it. It's right here inside Comcast network. Here you go. Here's the video, which is great. But the way they do it is with DNS redirection. So if you're not using your ISP's DNS, and in my example's case, Comcast's, you won't take advantage of any of that. And and there was a period of time where we were having really weird YouTube problems here in the house. Like a video would start just fine, but then, you know, 15 seconds in, it would just stop. 
and uh, and changing the DNS back to Comcast DNS fixed that. I I think that particular symptom is gone now because we're on open DNS. It it is better for a lot of reasons. You have some filtering and controls and you know all of that in addition to the speed. But uh, just be aware. You know, anytime you kind of make these geeky changes that we're talking about here, and you know Jeff's note was a great example of that. You just have to. You know, you have to kind of do this audit in your head of, okay, what have I done that might impact, you know, Comcast expects A, I've changed things to B, might that be a, a, a factor? But that's, you know, that's, that's how it is being a geek. That's a good thing. <laughs> you want to, uh, you want to try to squeeze one more question in? You want to try to do this? Um, is there, is there anything you want to do, John? I would like to address Rick. Okay. Take it. I think it's a good topic. Yep. So um, Rick brings up an interesting question for us. And let me get it in front of me here. So Rick uh, basically had a question. Uh, so in preview, you can include a, uh, a signature, which is actually your physical signature. So uh, his question is, I've learned that one can use preview to add a signature to a PDF document. This is great, except that when I want to do this, I'm told that I can only do this with a camera attached to the Mac or a trackpad. Um. I don't have a camera or trackpad on my Mac Pro. What I would like to do is somehow use an image as the signature and preview. Do you know whether this is possible or not? I don't have a search of the standard. Okay. And the quick answer is, David, we both researched this, but I'm going to say the quick answer is find a camera or trackpad. <laughs> because the mechanism surrounding this, Dave, has actually gotten more complex. I, I'm going to offer it. I want to dig into this a little bit here. I and mean, we don't have a ton of time, but I do want to offer a second quick answer. Well, and I that. And that's, I know it's a particular product. Yeah, go get PDF Pen. It makes <laughs> yes. this way, way easier. Yes, <laughs> that was in my head. But the thing yeah. is, with with the signatures within Preview on the Mac, which you can actually access. So if you run Preview, and you then go to, um, it's Tools. Is it Tools? I think. Hold on, Tools. Annotate Signature. Manage Signatures. Yep. It's going to come up with a dialog. So first, if you have any signatures defined you're going to see them listed there. Now, this also brings up a secondary question. How do I get rid of them? And I'll tell you about that in a moment. So okay. if you go to manage signatures, you're going to see two uh, options. You're going to see your signatures and then create signature. And then the system is going to expect either a trackpad or a camera where it's going to capture it off of uh, an image. The thing is, you had actually, we both found, Dave, where in the past, what you could do is find the actual files um, and you would dig into the system and go to com.apple.preview.signatures.plist, and it would point to the files where the data was stored. That mechanism has changed because I looked, and that file is no longer there, not in the latest uh, couple of versions of the OS. And even if you did get the raw files, well, you know, a signature is kind of your identity. So Apple protected them. So not only would you need the image files, you would also need to fiddle in the keychain to get an encryption key that protects that. If you just took the image, it would be useless because you wouldn't have the associated key, which you found in keychain um, keychain access. And I found the key actually. Currently, it's called signature annotation privacy. And actually, now it's moved from preview to something called annotation kit. So, again, huh. my advice my advice is it's going to be incredibly difficult for you to fake this. I would say just you know. See, I mean, get, a, get an inexpensive camera or find somebody with a trackpad. Once you do this, then it should be incorporated in your system and, and you're, uh, you're golden. 
So you can't even dig into the sandbox and move this file around, at least not in El Capitan. Wherever they put it, I... And I, I tried. You sure. And I found references to it, uh, but it, they've, they've made it much more complex. I think it's actually stored in a database somewhere. And again, there's an encryption key associated with it. You can get this key and get the password to it. Sure. Or I think maybe it actually is stored in the... Uh, but yeah, it, 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 the answer is that you can't just copy and paste an image and create a, a signature uh, in the preview. Right. Sense. So... I'm sorry, but the answer, yeah, they're, they're <laughs> either get the hardware or like Dave suggested, PDF pen is a wonderful product to do that sort of thing. And then I'll give you a little tip here. So the funny thing is if you go into Dave and, and I saw the forms and I actually stumbled across this. Yeah. And I think this will wrap things up here. If you go to annotate signature, you're going to see your signature, but you're not going to see any way to get rid of it. Then if you say manage signatures, also you're going to see create signature and your list of signatures but no way to get rid of it. How do you get rid of these darn signatures? Well, I found two ways. Number one is if you go to manage signatures and when it brings up that window, if you click on the window, it somehow brings it to the front or activates it. And then if you hover your cursor over an existing signature, you're going to see a little X next to it. Ah. It normally doesn't do, I don't know. It may be a bug. Um, so that's one option. The other option is that if you bring up a document, um, there's a toolbar that normally doesn't show up. And uh, let me see. I believe it is. Uh, which is it? View. One of these toolbars you can bring. Ah, show markup toolbar. Here's the other yeah. thing. So if you go into preview, say view, show markup toolbar, you're going to see uh, across that toolbar a little thing that kind of looks like a signature. It's a cursive J. Isn't that neat? That's another way to access your signatures. Uh. And if you click on that and bring up your signature and you hover over it, it also brings up that dialogue with a little X next to it. Huh. So those are two ways to delete them. But again, if you look at the Apple forms, the way to do this is these are two avenues that are not obvious. One, I think right. again is a bug. And number two, not by default, this toolbar uh, is not up here. So, huh. uh, that's how you get rid of your signatures. Well, that's pretty cool, man. Nice find. I wish there was yeah. a way to, I wish, I mean, I, yeah. we're syncing uh, passwords with iCloud Keychain. Why isn't it, you know, like, well, you know, the, does the it sync thing, them? Dave. Wait, is, is that where it's storing it? it are they in? Um, I was, I, I saw some people suggesting that should happen, but I didn't see the signature I created on one system replicated on another. Maybe okay. it's just taking its time. I, w I would have kind of expected that because, you know, iCloud tends to do that with, a yeah. lot of data. I thought it would sync your your signatures, but it. Yeah, I see. So if I look in, um, if I look in Keychain Access and I just sort or search filter rather uh, by the word signature, I see several things. One is called Preview Signature Privacy, and uh, the comments for that say used by Preview to encrypt stored signatures. But I, I'm not on El Capitan on this machine, so actually this this might not be all that helpful. But I'll, I'll finish. Uh, it says, used by preview to encrypt stored signatures. Uh, if modified or deleted, any existing signatures will become unusable. But um, but that's not in my iCloud keychain. That's just in my login keychain. I do see uh, signature annotation privacy, many entries for it in my that's iCloud keychain. Okay. 
So it says signatures for iCloud, uh, signatures for annotation kit shared by markup and preview. Deletion will remove all signatures from the list. So maybe it's syncing them the way you would expect. Oh, maybe. Well, I'm not using a, well, I'm not using iCloud Keychain. Aha. So maybe okay. it will sync it on your system. Yeah, yeah. Well, because I'm not using iCloud Keychain. I, okay, so maybe that's the secret. Maybe. Yeah. Why don't you maybe, use iCloud maybe, Keychain? Or is that a bigger, did I, did I open a can of worms? Uh, like I said, no need. I, I'm happy with the current tools that I use. Okay. Okay. Just redundant. Yeah, yeah. No, no I get it. it. It's redundant for me too, but it's, um, with one password, the redundancy is actually very well managed and it doesn't get in the way. And so I kind of like the redundancy. It's a good thing. Yeah, so that's another answer, is if you have another system that's part of iCloud and enable iCloud Keychain and it has a trackpad or a camera, yes, that may be your other avenue. Yeah. That may be the better avenue to uh, go about this. Yep, yep. Huh, very cool. All right, folks, that's, uh, that's going to be where we wrap it up today. Thanks for hanging out with us. We mentioned all the great ways to get in touch with us, but I will mention the phone number one more time because we've got to burn it into your minds and our mouths. And so that, John, is 224-888-GEEK, where geek is? Oh, 4335. That's right. Uh, We already told you other ways to find us. I want to send a big thanks out to the folks at Cashfly, cashfly cashfly.com. That's where we get all the bandwidth to send the show from us to you. The podcast marketplace, of course, includes our sponsors from this week, which were a Betterment at Betterment.com, B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T.com slash M-G-G. Otherworld Computing at MacSales.com. ProXPN at ProXPN.com slash MacGeekGab. And, of course, BB Edit from Barebones Software. In addition to Gazelle at Gazelle.com, where you can sell off all your old stuff. Imazing at Imazing.com. Great iTunes or iDevice Manager. Smile Software at Smile.com. Squarespace at Squarespace.com slash MGG with coupon code MGG. And of course, Casper at Casper.com slash MGG where coupon code MGG saves you 50 bucks. Have a great week, folks. We'll see you next week. And uh, John, you got any advice for him before we, uh, before we send them all on their way and send me on my way? I think it's advice that always applies. And the advice is don't get caught. Made up.